Hi, and welcome to The Fit, the fashion, innovation, and technology podcast hosted by eFitter, personalizing the shopping experience for you. My name's Judith. And I'm Elizabeth. And on The Fit, we delve into the complex world of fashion and tech with insights from industry players, old and new, and much, much more. Join us every other Monday for a new episode you do not want to miss. To join the tribe, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eFitter app, and join the conversation using the hashtag TheFitPod. We're joined by Bear, founder of Karma Clothing, an online swap shop which allows users to buy free items of clothing that are used and pre-loved and also list their pre-loved clothes. Thanks so much for joining us, Bear. Um, we'll get right into it. So just tell us a little bit about Karma Clothing. Um, what inspired you to create it? So I'm sure you guys can relate. It's been a long time coming and there's been a couple of versions of it, but Basically, I'm somebody that enjoys buying clothes. I've been working since I was 16. I've kind of had that privilege of having a disposable income for that kind of side of life. And just over the years, just realizing that I was spending a lot of money, not really seeing a return, never feeling like I was having new clothes or items to wear, but then being in a cycle of constantly buying. So that it kind of just dawned on me one day, like this is a genuine problem that I have is a problem that I know my girlfriends have why can't I start thinking about it in a way of what kind of technology could be used to kind of enhance what we're doing today um so that's really how it started um there was a couple of versions of it so it's interesting with you guys um and the kind of uh, return side of things equally super cool like we should be thinking about our clothes in a different way but the way that the kind of companies today are set up is next day delivery, free returns. Clothes don't look like what they look like on models. Like even the quality of clothes is like the material is so bad that you wouldn't even be able to wear it out. There's just so many different levels to it that it was like, cool, let's just try to do something. God knows what it's going to be. God knows what it's going to turn out as, but let's just start digging around and try to find some solutions. So can you explain a little bit about um, why specifically you chose the, um, I guess the easiest way to describe it is it's almost like an online charity shop for um, specifically for clothes. So why did you choose to um, use this model and are you a solo founder? How did, how did it all come together? It's a good question. I'm not sure how, I think it was just pure frustration. So for example, I remember a couple of years ago, I bought a CV boutique dress and they're called like House of CV now or something like that. And it was quite an expensive dress that I bought at the time. It's still a good quality dress and whatever. And I wore it like two times. It's going to sound really fickle, but I was like, I can't really wear this that many more times. And I was like, I've kind of worn it. <laughs> and for me, that was a weird realization because you know, I'm not super materialistic. And it kind of dawned on me that that, this kind of conversation isn't about materialism. It's a, it's a cultural thing. So that was probably really the kind of ticking point where it was like, cool, we have these really nice items that we have in our wardrobes that we've maybe worn to a wedding or a christening or like a 21st birthday or whatever. And they're items that we've probably spent money on that we don't really just want to give away. Um, and obviously there's always the depot route and that's, always obviously an option to people I guess this is an alternative to trying to make money 
So the idea was if I've got a really nice 200 pound dress and she's got a really nice 200 pound dress and you're not wearing yours and I'm not wearing mine, how can we facilitate a swap? And then the kind of, um, to the kind of charity shop-esque point, a lot of, there's a couple of people doing a similar thing at the moment, but this idea of a swap is really difficult. Um, So I had thought about getting an app developed and that was just like a whole different bag. And it was kind of going to be like a Tinder interface where you could like swipe and then if somebody else had matched with you and you both had items, but then it started to get down the rabbit hole being really complicated. And again, as somebody that enjoys PLT, flash sales and all of that, I need accessibility. I need it quickly. I need it sleek. And it, it just, it, it felt like I really love this idea, but as a consumer, I'm not buying into it because it's not easy enough. So kind of where we came to today is let's not make it a hard swap. Let's make it based on community and goodwill and build a foundation of people that are like-minded with the view that we can build a brand that's trusted and reliable. And people know that they can come to Karma for something alternative. It's still really nice stuff. Um, but yeah, it's something that I'm still figuring out as a lone founder, lots of um, unknown unknowns every week, which keeps me on my toes. Um, and I can definitely see the, then the business model changing and things adapting. I really just wanted to get something to market um, and just start kind of seeing who are my customers, what are their actual problems? Because at the moment, this is all me hypothesizing in my flat by myself. I completely love the approach of a community, um, building that community and proving traction before we even get to the point of an app or anything that could be more than what it is now. Um, And what I loved about uh, Karma, I think, is the idea that you kind of have this exclusive, like you have the community, but you also have this exclusive membership system. How have your community responded to that? Like, how does it work for those that obviously don't really know um, what comes about? And how has that been in terms of like the close friend stories and balancing the outward, the outer like main community, as well as the, you know, VIPs, I guess, is a term. It's a really good question. And again, something I'm definitely still evolving on day on day. Um, but the reason that I wanted to bring some kind of incentive, membership, priority to it is at the end of the day, it's an open platform. So with a lot of the other kind of alternatives to Karma, you um, upload and then you get like tokens. And then with that, you kind of spend money on the site. I had to make it somewhat, basically by having an incentive, I want to be able to reach more people. And by reaching more people, we're able to continue to feed the economy, if you will. Um, So the membership was a kind of free, easy trial way to kind of excite people to contribute for this incentive. So people have been um, really perceptive. Um, People want to be kind of like um, one of the first people to view the items. Items go quite quickly. Um, definitely need to do a lot more marketing around that though um, but yeah the membership stuff is the way to kind of um, say thank you to the people that have contributed. So Karma's only been live for a few weeks was it November that you launched? Yes the end of November. So um, very 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 new business what would you say that the biggest lesson that you've learned since launching has been? Definitely underestimating how long things take to do. 
especially as a solo founder especially when you have a full-time job yeah yep <laughs> I feel like that is it just is what it is and it's funny like speaking to people like yourselves reading like whatever it is a common thing something as small as taking pictures to upload onto the website it takes me like a whole day to do and then I don't ever factor in the editing and then if something looked right a couple of hours ago now I'm like mm, I don't really know if the lighting's right there anymore um so yeah definitely time management have you ever um correct me if i'm wrong but i think you've worked with a third party for marketing and that kind of thing yes um, and is there any um plan to kind of expand that to expand the team so that you have somebody working on marketing side of things and then you can focus on operational or do you plan on balancing it this way until you reach a certain point? And if you do plan on balancing it for a while, what's the milestone where you're like, actually, this is karma. I know what it is now. I can expand it. Question. Um, so definitely the help that I've had with the marketing really has just given me so much time to actually think about the actual business and the operations and streamlining that. So it's been such a big help. I definitely, I almost toy around with the idea at times at karma kind of being this kind of collaboration space where lots of different people can contribute and you know people that are just generally interested can write an article or you know could volunteer or help with whatever it is at the moment i'm not trying to make money off of it so the business model isn't really revolving around commercials as long as i'm not obviously at a debt to run the service which it's not um so I definitely see more kind of support and help. But I think for now, it really is, the effort is behind just building an organic community. And then based off of conversations with the community at that time can, can make appropriate decisions from there in terms of what, what's the next best thing here. So going a bit more in depth in terms of the business model of Karma, um, we saw that you only charge your consumers for the shipping, right? So not for the actual item. How do you think this um, places value or doesn't place any value on clothes that people previously owned? Because I think with other resellers, you are charged um, or you, yeah, you are charged to sell or you get money back for selling, right? Or for giving it away. How do you think this changes the approach in terms of the value of the items themselves, especially from like a sustainability angle? The value that we hold to our clothes is based on how often we wear them. And these clothes we've already kind of deemed to be not valuable to some degree. And I think that, like, so I love Depop. And since the lockdown, I am like selling stuff on Depop left, right and center. And even when I'm going through my clothes, I'm making a decision. Do I think this is going to be relatively easy to sell on Depop or am I just going to put this to my karma pile? And I found that some things sell on Depop, there's like a high demand for and some things you're going to be having that listed for a really long time. So I don't see karma kind of like changing, changing that necessarily. I kind of see it as an alternative. Maybe you've already tried to sell that item, but then on the flip side of it, it's, it's really... The items that we know um, in good faith, if we contribute, there could equally next week be an item that we've been searching for of maybe from the same brand or, or what have you. So from a buyer's perspective, I mean, we, I think it was 
maybe like our second or third episode really early on we had a conversation with the founder of by rotation and we were talking about how um when you're renting an item it's like okay i know that i'm paying for this item for x amount of time so there's a degree of care and attention that goes to it and it's obviously um solving the problem of sustainability and reusing clothing but in a very different way to the way that you do um i guess to follow up on judith's question if as a buyer you aren't paying for an item, um, do you think that then that there's a risk of that buyer buying the item, wearing it once and thinking, okay, what do I do with it next? Or are you actually encouraging that so that they can then relist on Karma? I think we're kind of encouraging it to a degree. I think it's like a thing of wear it, don't feel bad in, about not wearing it again, but there's also like a giant pool of people out here that would probably really like that item. And it's this idea of a circular economy and that obviously just like doesn't end like you can keep putting items in if you wanted to um i think it's like a way of incentivizing people to do that because i mean we've all got stuff in our wardrobes but sometimes who's got the energy to go through it and you know we've got other stuff going on in life so that's not really a priority but it is i keep harping on about community but for me this is really like a community thing it's about sharing um it's not about karma isn't a place to go to replenish your wardrobe karma is a place to go where you might find an item that is like your dream coat that you would never be able to find in a shop today um, and can equally pass that kind of niceness that kind of good energy forward back out into the community as well um so that's that's what's important and um just making sure that one of the reasons why I didn't want to close it off is not everybody has too many clothes. So my perspective and my kind of um, story on this is it's very much from a privileged place of having a disposable income to afford clothes. And through Depop, there's been some people that I've sold stuff to, but they've been like, oh, you know, I wouldn't even really spend this much on myself when kind of doing a refund or kind of going through that customer service type um, kind of conversation with them and it really knocked me for six was it reminded me okay well actually not everybody is in this position so how nice is it that karma is also a place where these people can still get items that actually they might not have been able to afford otherwise we'll be back to this conversation in a sec but in the meantime here's our take on what's happening in the world of fashion and tech the first week of 2021 has been eventful to say the least whilst the term digital was unquestionably the fashion world of 2020 it looks like offline may be the theme for 2021. On the morning of the 6th of Jan, or Wednesday, I believe, we all woke up to find Bottega Veneta deleted all of its social media, no more Twitter updates, Instagram photos, Facebook page, absolutely nothing. With everyone online and the merge of physical and digital being our norm, it begs the question, is this what extreme luxury looks like in a mostly digital world? You know what? I, I'm not going to lie. I think this is all one big pub publicity stunt. Like, I don't... I'm not... At first, I was like, okay, maybe um, they're trying to make the point that um, you were in the maid in one of our episodes, which is that luxury tries to put themselves on a pedestal, which is why it's not universally accessible online, for example. But there's actually no need for that. Um, yeah, I think it's a publicity stunt. I think what they're doing is they're going silent on their official channels to boost the voice of um, content creators. Because on Instagram, there's always going to be pages that are for like, you know, Bottega Veneta fans or something. There must be like a Bottega Veneta Daily account. 
So I think they're relying on that to boost their reach um, rather than their official channels for now. Now that you say that, I actually have to laugh because I remember logging on Twitter that morning and like, oh, that afternoon, I think, and everyone was just talking about it. And I'm like, how ironic is it that they actually deleted all the social media, but they're still a topic of conversation? So publicity stunt, yeah, probably. Um, but I also think, like you said, something that Irena did say that was really important is like, we've kind of seen, although that like, luxury brands are quite traditional in their means of communicating with their customers, if everyone's online, there really isn't a difference in who's accessing luxury versus who isn't. So I, I think it's very intentional. I think, or I think is a statement that will be echoed throughout 2021, especially for this brand in particular, if they are starting the year with no social media. I mean, I, I think in the Vogue Business article, it said that they had been advertising a global head of social media role. <laughs> 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 Wait, before or after? Well, well, at the time of writing, but the role is no longer active. So it could be that they really are hiring a global head of social media at some point, and it really is a publicity stunt. Mm. And they took it down because they saw that reference in the article, maybe. Mm. Or it could genuinely be that there's been a massive last minute change in their marketing strategy, which I think is less realistic. A 2018 report from management consulting firm McKinsey found that people see cheap clothing as disposable, with the majority of items thrown away after wearing them seven or eight times. Throwaway culture is a huge part of our consumption cycle, and one company is aiming to fix the fashion industry's dependence on environmentally ruinous materials, one fibre at a time. Spinova, in short, transforms wood into clothes. Its fibre is soft, strong and stretchy, making it ideal for everything from loungewear to workwear all while using a fraction of the natural resources and chemicals required by current processes. By ditching cotton for wood-based fibre, Spinova's production processes use 99% less water than the cotton value chain and it can even be recycled. I really love this because one thing I, I read in the article was that they are actually trying to implement the same technology in materials used in cars. So I think the idea is that now the companies, uh, Spinova specifically, are, are looking to scale because accessibility is a huge, huge problem for most of these um, custom fabrics or fibres that are made. It's so expensive, so smaller brands cannot even think about, you know, accessing these materials, even if they want it to be sustainable. Um, and I'm also loving the fact that, because we've spoken about this previously, cotton is so tedious to make. Like, the, the amount of water needed alone to make a cotton t-shirt is like, thousands of litres per one t-shirt so the fact that they can actually completely reverse that and make it more sustainable in fashion as well as in cars um I really really loved yeah agreed I mean this isn't the first material um, the first fabric that's made of wood I mean rayon is probably the most popular fabric that's made from wood fibers but as they touched on it is super 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 chemical intensive and it's like the problem that we've had historically with sustainable fabrics is we're using more sustainable um, raw materials but when you add everything into it it actually possibly does more damage to the environment because of the chemicals that are used so hopefully this is something that can be scaled because um, they're they're not very reliant on chemical use so now it's a question of okay the technology exists Spinova is not the first to do, to do this like we know that there are other um, sustainable fibres available, why are brands not using them? Because it's more expensive and it, because it impacts their bottom line. 
So now that we know that we have the techno technology, the challenge is to find a way to incentivize brands to actually get on board and care about the impact that their fibers are having on the planet. People are buying more secondhand clothes than ever with the industry expected to triple to 80 billion by 2029. This doesn't quite mean we're at the end of the fast fashion era though, but we are seeing movements such as Oxfam secondhand September, encouraging younger consumers to consider buying pre-loved clothing for at least a month. Shout out to Gen Z because I feel like we are completely different. You know what? Um, what's interesting is when you're looking at like the 2020 fashion roundups, on every single one that I've seen, um, Depop has come out as one of the winners. And it's so crazy because it feels like Depop are a new brand, the way that people have been talking about them in the last year. But like, I mean, I remember, I think I created my first Depop account maybe before I was in uni actually. Yeah, yeah. around my first year, I think around my first year of uni. So Same. this is a thing that's been around for such a long time, but it's Gen Z that are jumping on the trend, which is great to see. Um, however, I do think, I mean, you say that we're really different. I'm not on secondhand clothes yet. It's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like I've noticed that even my own buying habits have changed in the last year a lot. Um, so now I only buy secondhand books, for example. Um, there are a lot of eco-friendly changes that we're making in the household, like recycling a lot more stuff like, you know, filter cartridges that aren't easily recyclable. That's what we're on at the moment. So I think it's, I mean, yes, Gen Z is spearheading secondhand fashion, but I think there's also a wider change that is happening where we are becoming more acutely aware of the fact that the earth is very, is dying in front of our eyes and people are making incremental changes to do what they can to help with that i think definitely i think secondhand has been digital for years i mean i, I remember my first depop store and i actually now i'm thinking about it i went to a thrift store in east is it east end where's that place and brick lane, it? yeah it's near brick lane yeah. first ever time first and last no reason why <laughs> it just was <laughs> and i went i was just a really cool kid back then and i went and um yeah, I bought a couple of things. They did it in like um, stockpiling because I really wanted to sell, kind of like a um, nasty gal story. I wanted to, I wanted to do that, um, and I tried. So I bought them and I set up this store. What was it called? I can't remember. Set up this store on Instagram. This was pre small business era. Like it literally was when Instagram was that old, 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 old design, twenty fourteen slash fifteen. Um, but now I think about it, I have completely changed and i think i really do think that has something to do with age because if we're saying gen z are around the age of i don't know 18 to 23 4 maybe yeah um that was the age where i was more experimental with my style i was more like you know go the people i want to you know look like a vintage girl like i want to dress in vintage items um but now it's like I didn't shop as much because of my own personal reservations, but I don't think secondhand, I don't think I can do secondhand. Like I bought those clothes, wore them, and I was just like, yeah, I can't do this. <laughs> like, them. So what is stopping you? Like, what's the barrier for you? I think it's the fact that someone's owned it previously. I, I, I don't know why it just irks me. Like I, it's really bad. I don't know why it is. I think I'm just used to everything being brand new. And it's funny because I'm the first child. So if I was the youngest and I had an older sister, nothing I would own would probably be 
brand new it would probably be hand-me-downs so I think it's a very funny um way of looking at it but I don't know most people I speak to are the same so you're, you're so right and you know what what you said is I think it's actually brought out the irrationality in our aversion to secondhand clothes because like you said like I'm third but I'm the first girl but despite that I still wore a lot of my brother's hand-me-downs and I'm cool with it and also um the flip side of that is my mum knows a lot of people um, who have more money than sense and they buy a lot more like designer clothes and stuff than they need and they may either wear it once or never wear them and I used to get those as hand-me-downs as my t- in my teens as well and I had no problem with that I guess maybe because it was designer right but um it's like it's washed it's treated there will be very little trace of this person who has worn it before if they've looked after it and yet we still have these reservations so yeah shout out to gen z because they're doing better than we are apparently <laughs> honestly but you do make an interesting point because you knew those people right i think it's the familiarity i didn't know, I didn't know them personally but your mum like your they were family friends or no they're like kind of distant friends of my mom so okay. i don't know them personally hmm. so even I'm- then for me it's still a stranger yeah okay because I'm thinking maybe it's the familiarity that's kind of throwing us off because when I think about though they're not Gen Z focused by rotation peer-to-peer it's that whole sense of community you know who you swapped it with you feel a bit more comfortable you can put a face to the person you know if they're a smoker you know if they're not etc so maybe that's it because if I'm buying something off Depop and I know it's been worn how many times I don't know the person I don't know I don't know if you have pets. I don't. I don't know. You know, and I think that's what scares you the way. So I'm just like, oh god, I can't do it. Um, but yeah, shout out to Gen Z because they're clearly stronger than. <laughs> we are. Yeah, I say invest in the steam cleaner. Might need to do that. But also, um, you're, you touched on such a valuable point, which is the community aspect. People have that level of familiarity, and I guess that's where um, co- companies like Karma are winning because they've built this community. People understand the buying habits of each other they know that there's value in those clothes in those clothes even if they are getting them for free a hundred percent i really love i like i said earlier the emphasis on community in terms of the business model and i think encouraging your users to give it back like pay it forward i think that's the term yeah um with the items i think that's actually a really good way to keep them in and I think it doesn't really change the value of the items themselves I think it does encourage them to even if they wear it once is okay because you know you're going to pay it forward to someone else that can um, derive value from it so that's amazing um talking about the circular economy we one of the articles that we referenced positions that the circular economy could be worth up to five trillion dollars so it's huge and it's booming but what else do you think like independent retailers could use in terms of technology to solve some of fashion industry's biggest problems. Like we know about fashion waste, we know all about the landfills, we know about the ethics in the supply chain, we also know about the returns, but what else do you think could be done through technology to solve some of these problems? So like dreams stay, if like we could have a magic wand and anything would be possible. I think retailers not need to start a appreciating that our buyer behavior comes from a culture and tapping into and understanding that culture is super important so some of the examples like selfridges have popped up recently and they've got and um, like you can fix stuff in there 
can't remember what they've called it, but it's like a repairs, little repairs pop up. Um, so they've, and they've got like a little Oxfam in there as well. So I, I can see retailers have implemented certain aspects in terms of like the operational side of it. But I think the cultural side of it is super important. I think maybe investing in the data a lot more. What are your customers buying? When are they buying it? Is it um, like impulse purchases that then get returned? Um, I can't think of the number off the top of my head, but the cost for a retailer to, you probably know this number, for a cost for a retailer to return an item to be sold again is some, like sometimes not even worth it. So I do think it's about data before we even kind of think about tech and the tech direction is based on kind of what we found to be true. I do think in terms of like the returns and just the general wasteful aspect of it, companies do need to also be held accountable for their marketing um, and how they kind of get into people's heads. And it is also this kind of destination addiction type thing where we think when we have that item, we'll be happy. But then in the actuality of it, it, it doesn't change life at all. So um, I, I definitely think it starts with data. Um, and then kind of like what you guys are doing, you're giving that data back to customers so they can make better decisions about their purchases. And that's really what this is. It's enabling people to make better decisions because nobody likes returning clothes. Nobody likes the feeling of when you get an item and it isn't what you thought it would be. We want that satisfaction. So how can we use innovative ways to kind of enhance that satisfaction and take out all the crap to do with just the bad quality and the returns? And then, of course, all the sustainability that then kind of comes off the back of it as well. Going back to what you um, said, actually, you alluded to, we our last episode on Black Friday did discuss, you know, the very controversial um, campaign or marketing campaign that uh, Pretty Little Thing had. And they yes. did they really went really far as to price items as low as 6p. And we, we just discussed like the psychology behind this, right? It's very interesting that, you know, you know a brand has a marketing calendar for 12 months every year. So you know that this wasn't an off the whim decision to suddenly just clear all their dead stock. This was planned on purpose and they did really buy into where consumers would be mentally I think at that time of the year we have been through one of the hardest years collectively as a country as a world um, millennials are really going through it in general and they really knew that they know their target market they know exactly what they're doing but like you said I think it's the marketing is very very important and it's dangerous um, and we did talk about how um, you know it went from everyone bashing them for the low prices to everyone pandering for you know giveaways and again intentional it's like oh, exactly it's exactly what they wanted um and i think exactly like you said i think we just need to be a bit more careful and a bit more aware um in terms of the marketing and not get sucked in because it's very easy to do um but going off that i would ask just in general, how do you think brands can, because, you know, fast fashion brands, they're always, they're always going to be there as far as I'm, I'm concerned. I don't think they're really going to ever die. But how can we as consumers avoid these marketing tactics that, you know, will be thrown in our faces? We can't really avoid fast fashion. It's part of our day to day lives. But is there a way that we do you think that consumers can avoid being sucked in, make more informed decisions 
and just be better aware? I think um, it's definitely education and that's such an easy thing to say. And I think really the people that we're talking about are people that aren't really bothered probably about the sustainability aspect and it's not something that they think twice about. And there's also kind of not really, I'm not judging that at all either. It's just, that's the fact of it. So it's like, okay, so they don't really care about sustainability. There must be something that triggers this group of people to switch over. And that's probably more likely to be a humanitarian aspect of it. If you watch some of these documentaries, it's like absolutely heartbreaking. And to your point about 6P dresses, I was really thinking about it and I was thinking, I even get it to the fact that McDonald's can sell burgers for 99p. And it's like, if we as a collective know that that's just like not okay, how are we then buying into it when it's closed? So I think we have, and that again kind of comes back to the data point, which is like, who are these people? Like, what are they buying? When are they buying it? Um, Just that whole kind of cycle, because then you can maybe start to identify people's triggers, as I said. And I think everybody, I think most people are good people. Um, And that's one thing I've learned from karma. Most people are actually really open to sharing and like being part of something which is so cool. Um, So then it's maybe about how do we put out a message that kind of relates to all of this stuff that we've spoken about without it being too pushy, too forceful, too holier than now to basically say, I know you've been doing it this way, but here's another way you could do it. You have mentioned a few times the idea of culture and that it's more than just changing one or two buying habits. It's literally the way that our society is is built. And it's so funny that I probably say this multiple times a week. I'm like, oh my God, it's social media's fault. Social social media's fault. (laughs) And uh, that applies to everything, by the way. Like that applies applies to Brexit. That applies to (laughs) fake news. That also, to me, applies to the the rise of fast fashion. It's social media that makes it so easy to market so cheaply, constantly. You know, you, you pick up your phone, you open any app and there is an ad for something, even if you don't notice it. And that to me is crazy. But what's disturbing is also that we want these fashion brands to have a conscience. We want them to think, okay, these are the data points. We can actually encourage user A to buy less by targeting them specifically. But they don't really want that, do they? I mean, they're not going to want you to reduce the number of items that you're buying. So um, moving conversation from the bigger brands to smaller retailers like yourself. I know that you're kind of in like a niche section of retail. But I mean, technically kind of still fits. Yeah. Um, How do you think the smaller fashion retailers can take this on board when it comes to um, either their product ideas their business strategy or even the way that they communicate with their community? I think like for the smaller guys, using an example of maybe handmade or made in Britain or made wherever you're from that's local and therefore more sustainable, it's kind of reminding people, hey, this is what we do. There's all these benefits of shopping with us as well. And, you know, as you said, like 2020 has been a wild year. And as much as social media is definitely the downfall of a lot of stuff, one of the cool things that's been popping up is these campaigns for small businesses. And it is in a strange way about community. Again, it's like lobbying together 
with other people that are in a similar boat to you, making sure that you're using those hashtags so you're getting part, getting involved in certain trends. Um, but I definitely think for the smaller guys, it's it, realizing what their value is, whatever their value prop proposition is, and just shouting from the roots about it. Because one thing that the big companies don't have is integrity, is ethics, is quality. So, and I, we're talking about hypothetical companies here, but even that just logically makes sense that smaller companies are going to have more quality, probably better materials. There's been more love and care that's been put into your products. So um, I definitely think the smaller dogs have the bigger possibility and, and chance of doing something truly sustainable in a, in a cool way. Whereas these big companies, they just don't have any incentive to do it. It's just a gimmick when they talk about sustainability, I think. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think we've alluded to this before, but I think it's going to take the actions of everyone, right? Everyone is going to have to use their voices, use their means, even if it's just the consumers, just the smaller brands for hopefully one day this to change. And we're not just talking about in terms of the environment, we're also talking about the supply chain and the garment workers that are suffering as a result of cheaper and cheaper materials being sold. Um, but this conversation has been great in terms of discussing the journey. I think Carmen's gone through, you've gone through with Karma and where it's at now and what you're looking to do next will be our next question to you. What is next for Karma? What is next for Karma? There's so much. I've got so many post-it notes, so many ideas and plans. I'm the type of person where I do need to like take stock. I'm like, okay, figure out the next best step because I want to do it all and I want to do it all now. Um, so one of the things I really want to do is once we've had the shop running for a couple more months, is start thinking about, okay, how can we roll out cool services that help us reimagine our clothes that we already have? So, you know, you've always got that one friend and you're going to go on a night out, you're going on a date, wherever you're going and you send her the outfit options. I basically want Karma to have a service like that where we help you find clothes or outfits with stuff you already own. Um, and I did a little while ago, probably about 18 months ago, two years ago, I did like a challenge. And the challenge was not to buy any new clothes for three months, which was actually a lot easier than what I thought it would be. I just stopped thinking about buying clothes. But I went through all of the stuff that I had. And one of the kind of challenges within the challenge was that I find five new outfits kind of clothes pairings that I've never worn as an outfit before. And it was such a good feeling. It felt like a new outfit. I was excited to wear the clothes and it was maybe a couple of items where I felt like I'd had my run with it and kind of was able to reimagine it again. So I think the next level for Karma after we've just done some distributing and build the community is, okay, cool. What, how can we help you be excited about what's in your wardrobe again? Because the thing is, we've all got some really good gems. And sometimes it's a confidence issue. Sometimes it's a thing if you don't know how to wear it. And karma's here for you, basically. We've got, we got you covered. I love that. And I actually did read your um, our story page on your website. And it did mention, you know, an alteration service, a personal yeah. stylist, and a lot more. So that is really exciting. And I think the emphasis on using what you already have and just making it better, like the upcycling side of the circular economy is also something that is really, really promising. So that sounds exciting. I'm really looking forward to seeing all of that. Me too. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, Beth. Where can we find you on social media? 
you can find us on Instagram at clothing underscore and building out the other socials for now so Instagram is definitely the best place to find us perfect thank you so much thank you for having me thanks for listening to this episode of the fit for more updates please follow us on instagram and twitter at efitter app or follow us with the hashtag the don't forget to like us rate us comment engage however you listen to your podcast it's really important for us so that we can get the word out there see you soon bye